good to see a few more of you here this morning than have been here at least last Sunday, uh, and I trust that uh, you are getting better. I just thought about doing something up here a little bit ago, and I'm not sure how this is going to work out, but I'm going to try it. I'm not an artist, so but maybe I can draw some circles and boxes. Somebody that's under 12, tell me what that is. Sylvia. I, I, was, I wanted to look at her sister because I can tell them part that way. Sylvia? Target. Target? That sounded like you were asking a question. All right. Yes, it's a target. So why did I put three of them up there? Burns, why did I put three of them up there? You don't have any clue, do you? And that's okay. So, Patrick, if you were out and wanting to shoot at this target, what would you focus on? The center. The center? Why? How's that? Okay, more chance of hitting it. Yeah. Uh, more chance of hitting what? The target? Okay. Uh, I, if I was aiming for that target, I would want to aim to there to try to hit that. Okay? So how, how close would I get to that target if I was looking at this one? Probably not very close, would I? You know, I see people driving that that's a little bit the way they drive. They, um, they want to hit this target, but they're not looking out there, they're looking here. That's not my focus this morning, okay? But that's, that is what came to my mind, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But the title I have is, uh, Where Is My Focus? I'm not going to hit that target if I'm focused over here. I'm not even going to hit this target if my focus is over here. Well, I might get close. But the likelihood of hitting the, the focal point, the bullseye, is very, very, very slim. You know, it's probably pretty slim if I aim at the bullseye that I will hit it. You know, I've, I've seen people that are pretty good with a bow and arrow. And I just, uh, uh, what do they call that when they, Steve, what do they call that when they shoot an arrow and they hit, shoot another one? Robin Hood. Robin Hood. 
I couldn't remember what it was. I've seen some like that. The Bible talks about some some men that were really good with a slingshot. I mean, really good. Ryan, how many times do you think you can hit this target in the bullseye in a row if you had five shots at it? Not any. <laughs> the scripture talks about men that could sling a, sling, a, a stone with a slingshot left-handed and not miss. I, I don't know how, <laughs> you know, technology where it is, I don't know how they could do that, but they did it. I couldn't even do it with both hands or right-handed, which I am. Uh, I probably couldn't even hit the square. But they got to where they could hit it without missing. And there again, this, I, I don't know why I'm going out this way because I never never went there in my study, okay? Um, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And a devotional that we had this week sort of sent me this way. But in life, too many times... We miss what we're aiming at because we lose focus of what we want to be looking at or what we need to be looking at. I thought about this verse up here. We're raised with Christ. Focus on the things that are above. And that's um, basically what Paul was telling the Philippians in Philippians 3. Um, I'm going to focus starting at about... uh, Verse 11, basically, but I'll back up and start reading at verse 9 of Philippians chapter 3. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look, For the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. We have a purpose in being here. We have a goal to reach. We have the power available to reach that goal. It's the same power that God used when he raised Christ from the dead. In verse 10, that we want to know the power of his resurrection. It's available. But we've got to focus at the right place. The mighty power that worked in his resurrection works in the saints. Now, to spiritual life now, so we have a present power because of that, and it works in the future. It's what we will have when we resurrect to eternal life. I want to focus basically from verse 12 through about 14 this morning. We haven't arrived. The Apostle Paul says, I have uh, not attained. He said, not that I have already attained. He said, I'm not perfect. Now, you know, it's... We can get caught up in this word perfect a little bit. Uh, we have some perfect people here by name. We have some perfect people here by actions. Now, I'm not talking about those that have zero faults, okay? See, if I understand right, this word perfect means you're mature. You live up to what you know to live up to. I heard somebody say one time that when you, your knowledge goes from here to here, then your way of life needs to go from here to here. You live up to, and that's down in a little further, and maybe I better say it now, um, where it says, um, well, now I'm not finding it. Tell me. Um, well, I'll come across to here in a little bit. Oh, verse 16. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. What you've attained to in your knowledge, you need to live it out in your daily life. The Apostle Paul says he hasn't attained, he hasn't arrived to perfection, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Jesus, he said, um, he has a greater, in John 5, 36, that he had a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me. Jesus had a goal in being here. God had sent him here for a purpose. His father sent him here for a purpose. He fulfilled that purpose. And that's what God is calling us to through what Paul says here. 
He's calling us to that attaining in life. So what does it, I'm going to read uh, the, the, these center verses, verses 10 through 14 from the Amplified at this point. Verse 10, for my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. I want to read that again. Paul says, I want to know him. It's not just, well, I'll think about that for a couple minutes and I know who he is or I know him. But he says that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. It's something we don't ever get to the end of in learning to know Christ. Continuing on, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings so as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death, in the hope that it that if possible I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead even while in the body. He's calling us to live it out now, looking forward to eternal life in the future. Verse 12. Not that I have now attained this ideal or have already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of, to grasp and make my own, that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me and made me his own. I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet, but one thing I do, it is my one aspiration and I stop there and say it was the Apostle Paul's focus in what he wanted in life. Continuing to read, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. God's called you and I to a life in him. And we'll never get to where he wants us fully to be. I want to be careful I say this. Uh, you better be where he wants you right now, but you'll never get to where you don't continue to grow in him. He's going to keep leading you on to that goal. This pressing on has to do, and I'm not very good at some of these things, but it has reference to a line that they had drawn for a race. From that starting goal, the, the runner was obligated to keep his gaze fixed out there. Those that didn't play by the rule didn't get the prize. 
He's calling us to play, live by the rule in expectation of reaching the goal. Second Timothy, I didn't want to go here too far because I don't know what you'll hear tonight, next Sunday. But in 2 Timothy 2, he says this, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know, we, we have a goal that we're pursuing. Others are watching to see how we're pursuing that goal. And you know, I'm, I'm getting old enough that, uh, that I look back and I, I didn't uh, paint a real good picture all the time of my pursuit of that goal. He says, commit to faithful men that are able to teach, that are able to live out that before men. Verse 3, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who, has, who enlisted him as a soldier. I don't know much about warfare as far as fighting as a soldier. Verse 5, I'm not sure I know much about competing as an athlete. Where it says, also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. There are rules to follow. There are rules to follow in life. Verse 6, I know a little more about this one. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of his crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all these things. So, I don't go out and expect to get a corn crop two weeks after I plant it. And I've been around long enough, I don't... Uh, get too emphatic about what I expect from that crop until it's in the bin. Um, you know, 1 first, first Corinthians 13, 10, 13 has always been a favorite verse of mine, and I have said already in the past, I still remember uh, back in about 1996, we had a bumper crop of corn. And a storm came through. Part of the reason I remember this, that was about the time that uh, this ordination process was going on in my life. We had a good crop of corn. The storm came through. This was also the introduction of what they call the Kemper heads to the valley. That's a corn head that can cut any direction in the cornfield that it wants to. And it doesn't knock it down. See, we, I grew up with, with these row dividers that need to be pretty precise. And the corn row comes in between these two snouts. And this corn row comes between these two snouts. 
a Kemper hitch that's got big old wheels out there that it can cut through there and, and cut it off. And I still remember corns that looked like it was a total loss. Cornfields that looked like it was a total loss. But these heads were able to get it. Some of my corn went down, but I tell you, I had a good crop of corn left yet. I made a statement to somebody. I think the reason my corn stood as good as it did was because God knew I couldn't take any more than that right then. Now, I don't know if that was the case or not. But there was enough things going on. Yeah, I lost some crop. Not like some neighbors. This is a little bit of what started me down this line is a writing of Philip Keller that um, I came across and I want to read that, just four paragraphs. And the, the title was Focusing on Christ. He says this, when an ardent hiker heads for the high country, he keeps his eyes fastened on the far ridges and shining summit. He stimulates himself and steals his resolve to reach the top by focusing his attention on the ultimate goal. When you're looking out there climbing that mountain and straining, and I don't do that much anymore, but you looked at the goal. And that's what God wants us to look at in our pursuits in life. If he has, reading again, if he has a traveling companion, a hiking partner, he will also give him much of his thought, time, and interest. By doing this, the obstacles and the hardships and strain of the climb are, I don't know what he was thinking, but are scarcely noticed. But they're a whole lot easier to bear when you have somebody that's climbing with you. The tough Rough spots are taken in stride without undue stress or strain. His eyes and interest are not centered on the immediate problems along the path, but on reaching the mountaintop. It is precisely the same in our walk with God. Where is your focal point of interest? Are you completely preoccupied with the petty pressures and problems of the immediate moment? Are you so taken up with self-interest that you can't see the shining heights of God's purposes and plan for the world? Is your gaze only on the ground of your grinding, grumbling grievances, or does God himself fill your view? Learn to refocus your attention on Christ. Make him your confidant. Keep him always in view. Set your will deliberately to see him. Then press on toward the destination of the high country and lofty life to which he has called you. God's called us to higher ground. You all have been around here very long. Know that that's a song that uh, Keith starts out here fairly frequently. I'm pressing on the upward way. And we gain new heights, but we're focused on something. Some of these illustrations I'm going to give you, probably I have given parts of them before, 
But I used to marvel at one of my former employers at how straight he could make a row. And it wasn't just straight this way. He could plant around a hill and make them straight and the next row match up with it. I know why, or I have a little bit of an understanding of why the scripture says the one that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. I don't plow anymore. But when I used to, you could make a pretty straight furrow that first furrow. But when you got out in the field a little ways, if you look back too much, your furrow looked pretty crooked. Because the focus was back there and not up there. And he would get sort of frustrated at some of us young people talking about my former employer because we would cultivate. So you'd have six rows planted and you would cultivate it with a six row cultivator to get out the weeds, to get out the competition, to, to make it so that you had a more promising crop. And he didn't like it when we looked back too much because we would plow out the corn or the soybeans. And then you didn't get the crop. I remember the first time that um, my parents tried no-till corn. I remember who came and planted it. I don't remember a lot of things in life, but for some reason or another I remember that. And they came out and planted through rye that was about this big. I don't remember how straight or crooked their rows were, but I remember looking at corn rows that were, I mean, just, just very erratic. They tried to focus on this row that was right here with a chain hanging down from the tractor, and it, it didn't work. And once you got it crooked, you about couldn't straighten it up if you tried. Then we went to an arm that fell out here that would be in the front of your tractor. That works pretty good, as long as you can see it. And if you get a little crook in that, you can straighten that out when your focus is out there. Now they've done away with most of that. We still plant with a row marker. But if I want to make sure I'm pretty close, I look at the GPS screen and make sure that they're lined up. They've even gotten to the point where I heard a young fella say that he could just about sit back and read his Bible or whatever he wanted to. The tractor would actually come to the end of the row, slow down, pick his planter up, turn around and start back the row and plant another one right beside it. And this is, what's their focus? They're wanting something that's more profitable. How intent am I in my focus on the goal so that I obtain what I'm after? 
they even have technology now that when the harvester comes in, it can tell me how much less corn produced in this little part of the field than it did in this part of the field. And you could put more fertilizer on one part than you do on the other. All in the effort of the end goal. How much effort do I put in my pursuit of the end goal? I was, um, I'm going to better be careful here. I was about ready to say I was a little older than John is now when I first got my glasses, and I'm not sure. I don't remember how old John is right now. But uh, um, so I, I used to pride myself in having good eyesight, and I had good eyesight for a while. When I got to where I couldn't read, I put on reading glasses from Walmart. And that worked pretty good. But it's frustrating when you're reading something and can see well, but you're looking out here and you just see a bunch of blurry things out there. And that's what it got to. I mean, my, my focus was, well, I was focusing on the right thing, but my focus wasn't very good. So I went back to Walmart and got those that have a bifocal on the bottom that's magnified and the top is plain glass. And I got along pretty good for a while. Till I got to where I couldn't see things out there very clearly. Now I could still see faces and, and that kind of thing. But it finally got to the point where it just didn't work. I and mean, see, if I would take these off right now, I can, can see faces and I know who's there now because of <laughs> because I know where you're sitting uh, but if it would be unfamiliar people I couldn't tell who you were very well I don't think my wife will care if I say this but see she got glasses before I did and the doctor talked her into progressive lenses she didn't like them she was going to take them back because they do something to you when you have progressive lenses. You all understand what progressive lenses are? Progressive lenses are magnified more down here and less up here. And depending on where you look as to how much magnification is there, but there's no line. And she had trouble with tripping over things and that kind of thing. So when I needed glasses, I told the eye doctor, I said, <laughs> I'm not sure I want those progressive lenses. But he told me something that's helped me. And that is, he said, point your nose at what you're looking at. So if I want a clear vision of Nathan, I don't look over here and look out this way because he's a little blurry that way. But if I want to see Nathan clearly, I look straight at him. But you know, to this day, I still sometimes do like this when I'm trying to back a wagon. Because when I look across my shoulder, it's not clear out of the corner of my eye. And you get 
a little magnification and no magnification, and you can't judge things correctly. Where's my focus in my spiritual life? Am I sort of focusing out here where I can't quite see clearly? Or am I looking straight ahead at the goal where I've got a clear focus? Still remember Brother John Risser. He was an electrician by trade. And so he had his glasses corrected so he could look up overhead. So he had them magnified up here on the top as well so that he could look up through the top of his glasses and see his work, what he needed to see without lifting his head up so high. He could get his focus correct. We could go on a lot of other things, but I mentioned driving a little earlier. So, need to be a little careful here. So Anson, how far out in front of the vehicle should you look when you're driving? Where's, where's your focus at when you're driving? Or sh where should it be? Okay, 500 feet, all right. Um, and I, I'm not picking on, on Anson for any reason. I just know he's a young driver. So I look as far ahead as I can see. Because I want to know what I'm coming up on. Now, sometimes I'll look out here at this deer out in the field, and that can get you in trouble pretty quickly. And I observe people in their driving habits that you know they're not focused on their driving. I have gone down the road. I don't know how many of you like cruise control. I, I like cruise control. But I can have my cruise control set, and here comes somebody passing me up. Down the road a little ways, here you pull out and pass them. I haven't changed my cruise control. Here in a little bit, they come again. I'm not sure what they're focused on. Sometimes I'm pretty sure. They're focused on their phones or something else. If you want to know what one of my pet peeves are, it might be legal to look at your phone when you're sitting at a traffic light, but you're distracted. I'm sorry. And when the traffic light turns green, I want to go. So, but you're looking at your phone and you can't tell that it's time to go. Or you see people that are like this. Maybe they can stay in their lane, but they're not driving a straight line. They're not focused on what they're doing. What do people do? What do people observe when they observe my life? What do people observe when they observe your life? Is your focus on the goal, or are you focused out here somewhere? Are you aiming for the center of that target, or are you looking over at this one trying to hit this one? And that's what the way we act sometimes, the way we live sometimes. We say our focus is here, our goal is here, but our focus is somewhere else.
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The Amplified, Amplified puts the first part of that verse this way, looking away from all that distracts to Jesus. Having our eyes fixed on Jesus, looking steadfastly on Jesus, simply fixing our gaze on Jesus. Where's my focus? Psalm 121 says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth even forevermore. And then the first couple verses of Psalm 123 says, Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. I didn't tell Byron I was going to do this, but I have a song here that's not in our books that I want us to sing here uh, at the end. It's a familiar song. Um, but um, the, the phrase that came basically was in the first verse, or the thought came from the first verse. Have you started for glory in heaven? Have you left this old world far behind? And your heart is the comforter dwelling. Can you say, praise the Lord, he is mine? Have the ones that once walked on the highway gone back and you seem all alone? Keep your eyes on the prize. For the home in the skies, God is still on the throne. I just want to sing the chorus after the last verse. Uh, second verse, burdened soul is your heart growing weary. Third verse, you may live in a tent or a cottage. And the fourth verse, he is coming again is the promise. Oh, oh. Have you started for glory and heaven?
passed by. But a mansion for you he is building in that beautiful city on high. It will outshine the wealth and the splendor of the richest on earth we have known. He's the architect true, and he's building for you. God is still on the throne. He is coming again. He is coming again. He is the promise to disciples when he went away. In like manner as he has come from you, you'll see him returning someday.